Welcome to another episode of 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. Today is Thursday, August 29th, 2013. This is episode number 59. I am one of your hosts, Scott Barstow. And I'm the other, Anders Brownworth. Anders, how are you today? Fantastic. It's a dreary day in Cambridge, but loving it. Outstanding. It's hot and humid here in Raleigh, which is part Still, of huh? Yes. <laughs> Today on our show, we're, we're joined by Stan Phelps. Stan is the founder of Nine Inch Marketing, author of What's Your Purple Goldfish, 12 Ways to Win Customers and Influence Word of Mouth, and What's Your Green Goldfish? Apparently, Stan likes goldfish. Stan's worked with some of the top <laughs> brands in the world, and we are excited to have him on the show. We wanted to have Stan on to talk about the impact of the internet on marketing in particular. Stan, welcome to 353rd. Thank you for having me, both Scott and Anders. So let's jump right in. Anders and I were talking before the show, and one of the things that bugs us, so technologists and marketers have sort of a hate-hate relationship, I think. <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and, it, it, and I think the reason for that is that it seems like Marketing campaigns and marketing in general, it always feels to me like we're just sort of uh, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what will stick. Mm-hmm. And and it, and at least in my experience, there seems to be this. Uh, I don't know if it's in. Maybe I've been working with the wrong marketing people, but it seems like it's really difficult to produce reliable, consistent results. In marketing, whereas if we compare that to kind of writing code and deploying software, it's much more of a codified environment. We know what all of the parameters are. We do the work, and if we x plus y always equals z. Right. And I, I would love to get your take on first of all our uh, our bias as technologists against marketing, and I'm sure that's wildly inaccurate. But I'd love to get your thoughts on why or how. Uh, how one goes about sort of the science of marketing instead of, is it science and art? Is it all art? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a mix. And I think if, if you go back to more of the, the Mad Men days, I think you were dealing with more art. And I think today's marketers, just based on technology and the ability to track, it's become more, more, more and more of a science. You mentioned, I think, that people just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks, and that's always been kind of the mantra of marketing, is that you had this traditional funnel, and at the top you had the ability or the need to create awareness. And so... It was very much, as I would call, a spray-and-pray type of model. That's a great expression. <laughs> and, and, you know, ideally, you, you, you throw out a very wide net, and then as a funnel works, as you move down the funnel, you try to get people interested. So you have awareness, and then you have interest, and you're hoping that interest gets to a desire level, and then ultimately, the last part of the funnel, the, the narrowest part, is, is really where the action takes place. So you're always trying to move someone towards action. And I, and I think marketing is becoming 
more and more difficult because one, there's so much out there now. You know, back in the 1970s, it was common that you would, you may have 500 impressions a day with all of the different advertising was out that's out there. Today, that number is anywhere between three and five thousand. So to try to stand out and grab someone's attention is it's almost laughable how difficult it is now. So if I understood you right, you're saying that the average person in a given day sees between three and five thousand marketing messages. Did I hear you right? Wow. Correct. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and again, that's exponential from where we were back in this in the '60s and '70s, where it was maybe 500, maybe high side 2,000. And what's amazing now is that technology is where technology never was in the past allows us to actually block a lot of those messages. Mm-hmm. So it's changed the game. So whether it's having a spam filter on our email whether it's DVRing our shows and being able to either zip or zap through commercials or even doing satellite radio where we can try to avoid, you know, we can in some cases avoid commercials altogether or even have kind of, you know, there are some filters that you can do when you even scan the web that will, will, will essentially block any type of banner ads. So technology has allowed us to actually avoid. So I, I, think, I think true good marketing hits what I call the right three. And the right three is getting the right people at the right time in the right place. And it allows you to be very targeted and focused. And I think where technology is, is kind of eliminated some of that awareness stuff, the spray and pray, Mm-hmm. It's also enabled a lot more focused and targeted marketing, and which costs a little more. But again, there's there's not that amazing amount of waste that you have with, with traditional. Yeah. So so jumping into what you were saying though, uh, if if it was a uh, essentially a fight against TiVo, the DVR remote, whatever it is. I would argue that's because the marketing has been done wrong because the channels are wrong. Because right. if you if you you are in, essentially a TiVo is there because ads are there. If ads right. weren't there, there'd pretty much be very little more incentive for a TiVo. So you know how I I see that that really hasn't changed in television, and I you I believe you can argue that that is what is very significantly different with the internet. Right. And, and, I, and I'll say this. What, is, what has changed dramatically is that we're no longer just passive consumers that take this all in. We're now playing a much more active role on how we consume media. Yeah. And I, and I think, and, and this is part of my nine-inch marketing mantra, is that in nine inches is the distance between the stem of your brain and the top of your heart. And if you think about what great marketing does, it reaches the heart of the customer. And mm-hmm. so it's a, a, a lot more about making that journey and less about the eyes and the ears and actually doing things that resonate with the customer. And so my mantra is that the experience 
is now the marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think traditionally marketing has always been about acquisition and net, not enough attention has ever been paid to the actual experience of using the product or service. And I think new marketing is going to figure out ways that you can get the experience right because if you get that right, your customer becomes your most valued form of marketing. Mm-hmm. And that smartphone that they carry around is the biggest tool that you have in your arsenal. So do you have a, do you have a good example of a company, you know, maybe lesser known, maybe very well known, that you feel like is doing marketing right right now? Like they're leveraging the internet the way it should be leveraged and not just – oh, well, we could do a car commercial and we could also do a banner ad that says the same thing as the car commercial and we could also you know, run, a, run some Google AdWords that say the same thing as the car commercial. Like, who, do you, who in your mind stands out today as like a standout brand that really gets the internet as a marketing platform? It gets the internet as... That's a good question. I, yeah, I look at... And maybe this isn't fair, but to me, Amazon sets the standard. Really? To, to me, in, in terms of understanding their customers, making it extremely easy uh, for you to be able to transact, always providing a great experience. I think their, their experience is terrible. I, you know, it, it, looks, <laughs> it looks awful. I, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, again, you're probably looking at it with a different set of eyes. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it, I guess, with a designer's eyes. And as you're talking here, what I'm thinking, you're talking about the experience, right? Uh, uh, for example, a company that had knocked it out of the park, in my opinion, is Apple with the iPhone. That right. was all about the experience. I think they did that brilliantly well. By contrast, Amazon is terrible. I mean, it's, well, it's almost as bad as true. eBay. I don't think that's true, Anders, because... Uh, if you t- if experience is not just what you see on the screen, but rather how you deal and interact with a company, Amazon yeah, okay. is absolutely first rate. They they do have they do have a piece of it right, but the the uh, the. You know, I guess maybe I'm not understanding what you're meaning by uh, uh, the experience, because to me, you know, the site looks terrible. I mean, is it a hodgepodge of this, that, and everything thrown at you? Like, a, you know, there is almost no design to it. It's it's kind of depressing. But they, not- I, but don't you think they do a great job? If I've just read a book, for instance, Amazon does a remarkable job of telling me, hey, you might also enjoy these books. Like, they're one of the best in the world at, uh, you know, at that sort of Agreed, marketing. yeah. Them so, and, and Netflix, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So if uh, Stan, you mentioned so you you on your in your in your uh, soliloquy there you you went went through a number of examples and one of the things that I think would be really interesting to talk about is what do you so if you've got the internet which is this ability to very specifically target a person at the right place at the right time and all those things you mentioned how does how does TV how does print how does radio, how do all the things that we think of as the more traditional marketing channels, how do they compete in an effective way? If they can't do the targeted, and obviously they don't have the luxury of saying, oh, Stan Phelps just showed up on my website, and I know Stan likes 
all these other things because I can see his right. history. They don't have that luxury right now, at least. So what's a, how does, how do more traditional marketing platforms compete? Well, I think when you talk about the traditional ones, so TV, print, and radio, I think the one that's has shown the most susceptibility to or or uh, weakness when it comes to technology in real time is print. Hmm. And I think print there will always be a place for print, but I, I think that the percentage that's spent still in print compared to the amount of people that are engaging in the medium, it's it's still a wide gulf. And I hmm. think digital is gonna is gonna continue to steal that share. TV, when you look at TV, I think TV is pretty interesting in the fact that TV is no longer sitting down in your living room and, you know, a a family type of activity. TV is interesting that it's become a lot more personal. And so I think, you know, a TV is just literally going to be a screen going forward and the ability for you to consume that medium, whether you're on your smartphone your tablet, your desktop, your laptop, or even sitting in front of the old boob tube. Um, TV is, to me, in my opinion, is not going anywhere. As people continue to, I mean, there's thousands of channels, but you can get a lot more specific with where you put your messages uh, and be creative in terms of how you align with the, the properties on TV from an advertising perspective. So I don't think TV is going anywhere. Radio, unless people start being beamed from one place to another, I think radio will continue to be steady and, and always be a viable platform. So radio, I guess, has the advantage of a captive audience, basically. Exactly. The only thing that I think from a radio perspective is that as you start to look at things like Spotify and Pandora, and now cars being essentially the Internet of Things are changing everything. So as cars become more mobily enabled, you're going to, you know, terrestrial radio is going to really be threatened, I think, in the next five or ten years. But the idea of listening uh, while you're in that, in that captive space, that, that's not going anywhere. Hmm. Yeah. How does a how does a TV how does how does somebody advertise effectively on TV? One of the things that you know, Anders and I both work for, uh, and we probably talk about this too much. We work for bandwidth, and um, and as a part of that, Republic Wireless, and we just had a pretty big TV campaign. And I'm curious, from your perspective, what goes into sort of the lead up to to an effective TV campaign, what is the what's the marketer looking at? How are they figuring out where and when to advertise? And then, I guess more importantly, how are they measuring the success of that on the back end? Because I don't have a click through to say you came from right, you know, uh, yeah, modern this, family or yeah. whatever. So how does that all how does that all work? Right. Well, I still think TV is a great medium from a storytelling perspective. And, and what you need to be careful of is that you ideally have some type of call to action, but you don't get too transactional that you can't tell the story in a meaningful way. So I think the, the, best, type of, the best types of ads, to answer your question, tell a little bit of a story 
hopefully engage the target consumer and get them at least on the track to potentially get more engaged or find out more or leave the kind of breadcrumbs that they want to continue that, that engagement. Um, and and the, the difficult thing is if, if you don't have some type of call to action, then how do you really measure it? I guess you could, you know, in the old school, they'll typically do research before the campaign starts and then be able to do research afterwards to see how perceptions have changed. But to be honest, you know, that's not as relevant, I think, as it once was because it's so hard to reach somebody. And you, when you just hit them one way, you're really not going to get a collective kind of uh, collective result than if they watch a TV spot, they see potentially a print advertisement, they engage with the brand online. That's only when you start to get those two, three, or four impressions from different places, only then do you really start to pierce the veil and, and get, to the, get to the consumer. So so it's 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 really brand what you're I mean that's that's the thing that's going to be common across all of those uh you know avenues all of those experiences is the brand. So you're right. trying to essentially do brand awareness. I mean I, I you, the argument that you use TV to do brand awareness is, is as probably the best medium to do brand awareness. Um that resonates. It <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um so what you're saying is in order to have a successful campaign it really has to be pretty much all or most big uh, uh, media sort of avenues rather than, you know, a single kind of play. Right. It's definitely, I wouldn't invest, no one would tell you this, that you invest all your money in TV. Yeah. Unless you, unless, unless maybe it's a a direct response type of campaign and and a longer format. Right. Again, studies have proven that, someone needs to see things from literally at least three different points of view before it really starts to register. Hmm. And so just seeing the same spot three or four times is probably not going to have the effect that you're sure, looking right. for. Sure, right. In my case, it has a, a, you know, a negative effect. Um, sure. If I see the same thing over and over, it's just wasting my time because I've already seen it. Um, which is largely why I haven't seen a TV ad in the past 15 years. Um, so, <laughs> right. you know, so ever since I got a TiVo, I've been getting back at, uh, television advertising that has been wasting my time. Uh, right. you know, kind of trying to go again. But then on the, you know, if I'm honest, the other side of it is I'm largely out of touch with what people are selling. Uh, right. You know, and to me, when when Google's uh, advertising came out, so you could type something into Google and and essentially be asked to be advertised to, that totally right. changed the 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 calculus. So now the onus was upon me to figure out what it was that I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rather than allowing some other medium to try to set the uh, the tone. Right. Right. I mean, with with search. And with when you do type of keyword type of search engine advertising, you're absolutely hitting, for the most part, you're hitting somebody at their time of need yeah. within their area of interest. And so it's so, it's so effective. But the, then there's, you know, 
how trustworthy is, even though they come up first and on the side in terms of ads, you know, how do you rate that compared to say something that comes up organically? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think my, my response to that would be, I, I almost never click on the paid ads and I almost always, you know, check the first two or three of the organic ones because I feel like there's a reason why those bubbled to the top. Right. Yeah. For better or for worse. One of the things you said resonated with me about, you know, just you have to TV being about telling the story of the brand. I remember hearing a quote from uh, about Mercedes Benz and they basically said, if we started advertising to people when they got old enough to buy a car, we would have failed. We start advertising to people when they're four years old. Right. <laughs> and they start seeing our cars. And then by the time they're 20, that's right. the car they want. And right. so it's a really long view. It's not transactional at all. It's just, here's our cars. They're beautiful. We know you want one. And if you can't buy one now, we're just going to keep piling it on and keep piling it on uh, through, through you know, over the next 15 years until you can actually buy a car. Right. And you're going to want a Mercedes. And I think that's that's a really interesting way to think about TV, especially in light of what you just said. It really that really uh, sort of made a lot of sense to me once you said it is that that's really what TV is best at. You can't do that through, you know, a radio ad or a print ad. You can't tell the story of the beautiful car. Right. Really through any other medium except video. Well, I, I think what video allows you to do and the great brands do this, you know, they're, it's very much an emotional marketing play through video that in one side gives you kind of the irrational reason to align with the brand, but also, you know, tells you the, the rational. So, you know, they may, if you're watching a BMW spot, it's all about kind of this appeal and persona or, or ethos of being part of this brand. And then they'll tell you, oh, yeah, this, it's a, an efficient car or it gets great gas mileage or it's a safe car to drive. But really, they're selling you on the emotion of being part of that brand and, and the cachet that goes with it. Hmm. Well, I, well aren't, they, aren't they selling you about uh, uh, you know, how the car is going to feel in a corner? I understand the, uh, uh, the desire to... Uh, show that you have a beamer, right? And, and right. the cachet that comes with that. So is that what you mean by engage with the brand? Because it's outside of that, I mean, I got to tell you, I, you know, I'm going to take the, uh, the Audi symbol off of my car if I can. I don't want right. that. I don't want that. You know, that's sort right. of the opposite. I'm, maybe I'm a little weird. <laughs> There's no question. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> There's no um, question. A little weird. No, me- I, again, I think it's a, you, the great brands mix between functional benefits and more of kind of emotional drivers yeah to to kind of lure in the the, the customer yeah huh how did the how do how do brands that are trying to figure out how to navigate between kind of the old world and the new world how are you how are you and you know helping your clients to understand what's the thing you know these people are, everybody's carrying around a computer in their pocket now Right. Then everybody and, and it knows where you are and it knows what you're doing and all of those things. How are you talking to your clients about what a mobile phone or you know a mobile computer means to you know maybe a more 
staid brand. Let's take like a Wells Fargo or somebody like that, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that is a traditional brand that's been around forever and they've somehow got to figure this out. What's the, what are those discussions like? Well, uh, you, you bring up Wells Fargo and they're actually a shining light that I share with, with the brands that I work with. And the reason being is that I think Wells has the right approach. Before they acquired Wachovia, and I'm not sure where the numbers lie now, but before they acquired Wachovia, they drove 80% of their growth through current customers. Wow. Holy cow. So, <laughs> and so if, you are, if you're a regular you know, traditional banking customer, you have anywhere between two and a half products like checking savings maybe a cd or mortgage you have two and a half products if you're a wells fargo customer the average is more than five products oh and in some places in the country it's put it's upwards of seven so they they have figured out that the in terms of who they market and sell to that their current customer is their best asset Hmm. and i think we're most brands have it wrong is that they spend, you know, roughly brands spend about 10% of their turnover on marketing. And I think where most brands have it wrong is that they focus 80%, if not more, towards the acquisition. And then as an afterthought, maybe they invest a little bit into the actual experience and Scott, when you asked me about how the smartphone has changed the game, is that your, your brand is an open book now. And your brand is not about the promise you make. It's about the promise you keep. And hmm. so when somebody's experiencing that brand, all they need to do is take out their phone and capture that. Or to write a review even before they've left you know, the establishment. And I think that is so powerful and game-changing. You know, it, it, we, know, we now know much more about a product or service before we even consider making a purchase. In the past, we always relied on traditional marketing to inform us. Yeah, That's no longer the case. And I, what I think is we haven't made that shift to be more about how we treat our current customers because if you do that correct, that referral to get you new customers is going to get you more profitable customers and customers that stay with you longer. Yeah, that that's, that uh, definitely resonates with me. I, yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and does the do you are you are the, some of your clients who are you know. Are, are, do you see your clients having a hard time making the jump to, to understanding that, look, you can't, this isn't about, uh, you know, somebody writing a letter to the editor or writing to the Better Business Bureau, uh, you know, about your product anymore. Mm-hmm. The, it's going to happen right now. Right. And, no. and not only is it going to happen right now, but you've got to be ready to respond right now. It's, it's a much much different marketplace that we live in. If in, in the past, you know, you used to sit back with these marketing plans that you did maybe six months or 12 months at a time. You would 
you know, prepare to do your 30 second spot. You'd roll it out in certain waves and then you wait for, you know, the results to come in. Now, if, if, if brands like Oreo taught us anything during the Super Bowl is that you can do real time marketing. And what, what most people don't realize about Oreo is that, and, and I, my old agency actually worked with them for this campaign for a hundred days straight to celebrate the hundredth anniversary. They literally came up with a new print execution that they actually did digitally, but a new ad that they did every day for a hundred days straight. Yeah, that's key. That to, to do that, see that exactly flies in the face of the problems that I have with television advertising in general. Like if there was a different one or or some additional information or some kind of reason to pay attention to something that I've you know otherwise would have seen before many many times that mm-hmm. would so that so I think that's why that got through. Right. Well, you think about it now it's like if I use a military analogy, it used to be in the past like you were sitting in the gulf on a warship and you were firing in these mortar rounds. And then you'd have maybe somebody on the ground that was telling you if they kind of hit the mark or not. But you were in a cushy ship. Nobody yeah. was going to touch you. Now, today, mar- today's marketers, boy, they're in the trenches on the front lines. Yeah, you know, yeah was, they're getting shot at every day. They're really. getting <laughs> shot at. And you know what? There's, there's nowhere to hide. And so if you're not paying attention to the trenches – and you're, you're going back to this philosophy of doing stuff on a quarterly or yearly basis, uh, you know, I think marketing hasn't gotten to that agile type of perspective enough. And, and I think that's where it's going to have to go. Yeah. That's an interesting analog. So the ability to think of it like, think of advertising like a software release and they are a product release and think of it as, you know, I can do one today or I could do five today or I could do 10 today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, and I, the, the mediums of, or the mediums of distribution obviously would have to support that. Right. Uh, the different, you know, instead of having to, and I have no idea how the distribution of commercials work, but uh, you know, the ability to sort of stream, you know, upload things multiple times and be able to configure when, what ads are running when and how often mm-hmm. and waiting. You know, if I've got 10 ads, I might wait one to get 30% of it. And, you know, it's like that sort of sophistication of distribution could make Anders' problem of seeing the same ad over and over again go away. And I might right. get a part of the story in one commercial, and then I get the next part of the story in the next commercial at the next break or whatever. And that might, that, I think that would keep, might have the chance of keeping people's interest a bit more. I'll tell you what's where I think it's pretty interesting how maybe TV goes this route. But if you look at, um, have you ever seen the video boards when you're walking in the mall? They do kind of the, they're the big screens that do kind of video advertisements. Yeah. Maybe they're on like a column. Well, it used to be in the past that they knew when certain demographics would be going through the mall. So they would change the advertising based on the time of the day. So if it was like senior citizens mall walking in the morning, they'd have ads that were appropriate to that. Maybe it was the kids getting out of school in the afternoon and they'd have stuff. And maybe it was more family at night. And I'm, I'm just making this up. 
Now, what's really interesting, Intel has a technology where they literally embed a camera on top of the tower. And what they can do is that they can actually judge when someone's walking towards it, their gender, their ethnicity, their roughly their age, and they can actually serve up an ad that's appropriate to whoever that person is. But this is where it gets more interesting. They can actually tell how engaged somebody is with that spot. Yeah. So to your point, they may not even have to finish the spot. They might put something up that's, that, that's going to be more sticky and engaging. Hmm. And so if you think about that ability now to actually judge how engaged somebody is with, with a piece of advertising, to me, that's what changes the game. Yeah. Because now with a lot of the neuromarketing stuff that they can do, they can get really – without, without ever having you, you having to open your mouth, they can tell you how engaged and what parts of your brain is lighting up when you look at something. And so it, to me, it's, it's a total game changer. So in, in both this and the, uh, the scenario we were talking about just before, there is – uh, seemingly a huge uh, increase in the amount of creative that you're going to do for a, any particular advertisement. Right. Uh, you know, because if, if you've got uh, just a billboard, it's just a billboard, obviously. And if you're going to change it, you know, 5,000 times a day for the 5,000 people that walk in front of it, obviously mm -hmm. that the, the, aside from the, the technology, which presumably is done once and then it just continues to work. That's right. a, a very significant you know, in increase in the amount of creative that has to happen uh, per unit. You know? Right, right. Yeah, so. it used to be in the past that you'd do a 30-second spot. Maybe you'd cut. Maybe if, you, know, you, you might have a, a 15 that you would do, or maybe right. you would do a long form, like 60. Yeah. But now, why couldn't you create literally a five-minute spot that you can always put on your kind of your owned owned media, yeah. You know all of your channels. But when you're doing it paid, why not be able to have chunk it in different ways? To your point, that maybe tells a story in sequence, yeah. Um, you know, or or you know allows you the ability to to mix it up. I guess I'm I'm kind of uh, surprised that this kind of thing hasn't really gone that far yet, because. The internet's been around for a while and we've kind of, you know, the advertising seems to be sort of stuck in that medium. Uh, DVRs have been around forever and still, you know, I, I would have thought the, the natural reaction to DVRs and whatnot in the television world would be to do what, uh, Walter Cronkite did. He had this 15 minutes of the show brought to you by Crest and he had right. the toothpaste like in, in, uh, in show advertising. I forget what you call it. There's like a, there's a name for it. Uh, where you have the 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 product, you know, it's like a product placement in a show. Sure. I would have thought that would have taken off and gotten a lot bigger, but it it just seems that, I mean, this is sluggish at best, right? Am, am I crazy? It is. I I think I I think you look at things like sports to figure out how to kind of lead the way, and right. I think sports is your ultimate reality TV. Like it's it's almost DVR proof, uh, unless you shut the world out and, yeah. and watch something later on. But they've figured out ways where, literally, it can be ridiculous. But everything, the slow motion is 
you know, is sponsored by X. And when the coaches do a review and they put their headphones on, they're sponsored by Y. Yeah. And, you know, even the sport of soccer, where they'll have people who maybe sponsor, you know, a half or halftime or pregame. I think you look at sports on how things can sports is definitely on the leading edge in some aspects. Got it. Of yeah. how you can you can do that type of sponsorship and, and integration. Yeah, that's a great point. That that is where where it is moving. That's a great point. Yeah. That's good. So uh before we get out of here, what do you what do you when you look over the horizon and you sort of, you know, take the long view in five years yeah, I don't know if you could have called kind of the evolution or revolution of social media, but let's assume that you could have for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, when you think about what all of this looks like two, three years from now, five years from now, what do you think, uh, what do you think the big trends are going, you know, what are we seeing? What are we seeing the first glimpses of today that's going to be mainstream? Right. Wow. I'm not, I'm not pretty, I'm not good at all with a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> but, I wish but, we all were. I'm um, I'm interested in you know Instagram and and Twitter's Vine, so Facebook with Instagram and Twitter with with Vine. How video will continue to be a a a bigger part of how we consume things. So to me, I would keep I would keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. The the second thing, which I think is just, I'm curious to see how much fatigue there might be in the next five or six years. And you can already start to see a little cracks in the, in the, in face, you know, the cracks in the, the dike for Facebook and that, you know, they're trying to stick their fingers in and you could see Instagram as being one of those acquisitions they made, Yeah, you know, but there are more and more cracks that I see. And when you talk about the younger generation who doesn't seem to be living their life in that medium, to me, what's going to be interesting, not only with Facebook, but when you look at the U.S., only about 18% of people involved in social actually kind of live their life online. So like one out of every six people. And that's actually, when you look at it on a global scale, it's about 24% or one out of every four people. But what's interesting is you look at country by country, you have places like um, – South Korea and Saudi Arabia, where that's upwards of like 50 or 60 percent, where people are sharing continuously. So I would what's interesting to me is, you know, are we ever going to get to that point where one out of every two people is kind of living their life online? Or are we going to even retract from the 18 percent where people are going to be like enough already? I don't want to, you know, I only have so much time in the day. I don't want to have to be living my life through these these tools. Yeah, that's a great question. I know for for myself when some of these services came out, particularly Path. Like I used right. to use Path. I didn't use Path anymore. And Path is very similar to Facebook. Right. So yeah, that that's very interesting. I don't think that's going to um you know, my my guess would be that wouldn't stick around. Um, but that's very interesting. Yeah. And the, the other thing is just having, and Stan, I know you've got younger kids as well. They aren't, I mean, my kids are all over Instagram, but, uh, you know, they're not really on Twitter. 
they're they're not on Facebook really. They think you know. I think most people who are eighteen and under think Facebook is for people who are forty and over. And <laughs> and so like if if your parents are on something, there's no way that you would be on it, kind right. of thing. And and so I'm interested to see. I think I think your uh, your point about Vine and Instagram video is spot on. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think that's the Everybody's got a faster internet connection wherever they are now, at least if you're in the US. And, mm-hmm. you know, in in first world countries, your your internet speed is just going through the roof. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to share a video and we're going you know, we're already moving it started at 6 seconds, it's moving up from there already. And so it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know, how marketers inject their stuff into the into you know someone's video for instance like you like you see on youtube already Mm -hmm. you get ad overlays on on youtube already so i think it'll be that's really interesting so uh tell everybody where they can find you online and whatever i know you've got a book coming out so uh just take a take a couple minutes and talk (laughs) about what you're doing and how people can find you so thank you by the way scott for you know keying in on my goldfish uh, obsession. <laughs> I want to know what's so, up, what that's yeah, you about. Gotta, you got to spend you gotta, like 30 seconds yeah. and tell us about so, it. So I'll just very quickly, if you're interested in finding more about the work that I do in both customer experience and employee engagement, um, the best way is to go to my website, which is the number nine inch marketing.com. That also happens to be my my Twitter handle and my Facebook page. So the number nine inch marketing.com. Uh, the reason why I write about this concept of the goldfish is that I truly believe that little things can make the biggest difference. And it's a lot of times the brands that get the little things right that are also getting the big things right. And what I profess is that you need to do these little things like goldfish that essentially add to the customer experience and also not neglecting your employees, doing the little things beyond dollars that keep your employees engaged and reinforce the, the culture of your, your organization. So uh, there's a much longer and drawn out story on the goldfish, but uh, suffice to say, it's just something that's it's a small thing that can make a big difference. Hmm. That's cool. And you've got there's a new one coming out, right? So I, I wrote Purple, which was about the customer and how do you differentiate that experience and create these little things that are talkable that make you remarkable. Green was about the employee, and these colors are a reference to to Mardi Gras. So the last color is gold, and that's really interesting. It's what do you do for your top 20%? For most businesses across the board, top 20% of customers drive 80% of profitability. So you know, holding on to those, they're kind of like your golden eggs. How do you keep them engaged and happy so you can remain profitable? And from your example, clearly Wells Fargo has figured something out something out about that. They've they've cracked the code. I mean, I think you look at the great brands and and Anders, you brought up Apple, and I, I think Apple certainly gets it. When when you walk into their Apple store, 
Um, there's a ton of stuff that they do that are these little things that, that add up to the overall experience, whether mm. it's, you know, free engraving on the back of an iPod to their one-to-one program where you can literally spend 99 bucks and get a year's worth of one-on-one, one-hour lessons right. to help you make that transition. I mean, just genius. Yeah. 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 Well, Stan, thanks a lot for being on the show. It's been it's been great having you on. Absolutely. <clears throat> if again, if anybody uh, wants to find out more about the work that Stan does, which I can tell you from just seeing, uh, having been around him, he does fantastic work. If you're if you need marketing help, Stan's the guy. Check him out at nineinchmarketing.com or at nineinchmarketing, and that's the number nine, not spelled out. Thanks, thanks for being on, Stan. Thanks, guys. That's our show for today, and thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks.